Christ Church, New Malden, 5th of January 2020, 9.30 service. Becky Mills speaking on 2020 Vision, a church that cares for creation. As we stand at the beginning of a new decade, all of us know that something is wrong with our planet. We know that our planet is warming because of increased greenhouse gases like CO2 and methane in the Earth's atmosphere. But how many of us know what might happen as a result? How many of us fully understand the crisis we're facing? The average temperature of the Earth has risen by one degree centigrade since the Industrial Revolution, and we only have half a degree left before we face climate catastrophe. I stood here 10 years ago and preached for the first time at Christchurch. The subject was climate change. Back then, I talked about global warming causing rising sea levels. This map shows, shows countries at risk with two degrees of warming, and the unaffected areas are in grey there. I talked about severe weather, hurricanes, forest fires, and drought turning huge swathes of land to desert. I talked about lives, homes, and livelihoods lost as a result. I preached about the huge injustice of it all. The fact that people in low-income countries who have done the least to cause global warming are the worst affected by it. Well, what's happened since then? The world is marching relentlessly on in the pursuit of making money, turning a blind eye to the damaging effects to our planet. I confess that I didn't really realize myself the extent of the damage till I watched climate change, the facts, in May of last year. A BBC documentary with David Attenborough, which claims we only have a decade to turn things around. To quote Sir David, if we don't take dramatic action, we could face irreversible damage to our climate. Yes, we're facing an emergency. And yet, are world leaders holding crisis meetings all the time, spending their waking hours doing something about the situation and informing us what's going on? No. One minute, politicians are talking about new technologies and simple solutions that will stop global warming. And the next minute, they want to expand airports, build new coal power plants, and more motorways. Have we, the Christian church, been persuading governments worldwide to tackle climate change in the past decade? What should our role be in 2020 if we are a church that cares for creation? Let's start here. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world, and all who live in it. That's the beginning of Psalm 24 that we heard read earlier on. We live on the land that God made, but we don't own it. God is the owner, the landlord. We're the tenants. So whose world is it? You tell me, whose world is it? God's world! 
It's not ours to exploit and damage as we choose, just because we're greedy and want to get as much out of it as we can. So how important is the land that God gave us in the whole story of God's relationship with his people? How many references do you think there are to the land in the Old Testament? 1,000? 2,000? 2,500? Have a guess. Hands up. Hands up for 1,000. 2,000? 2,500? The answer is 2,500. Now, I, yes, I was quite surprised about that myself. How many references are there to land in the New Testament? Get your hands ready. 150? 250? 350? The answer is 250. So, there are around 2,750 references to the land in the Bible. So the land is pretty important in the story of God's relationship with his people, isn't it? The relationship between God, human beings, and the land goes way back to creation itself. God made us from the dust of the earth, and that means we're closely connected with all living things. We're made of the same stuff, the same matter as the land itself. God created humans to live in a physical world, and we believe our ultimate destiny is to live on a renewed, transformed earth, united with heaven. But our relationship with the land goes far beyond being made of the same stuff. As human beings, we're unique in God's creation because we're made in his image. To be created in the image of God, to be able to have a relationship with him, is a wondrous gift. But it brings with it the crucial, crucial responsibility of caring for his creation. The land belongs to God, but our job is to exercise the kind of rule over the land that God wants. Throughout the Bible, the land is not just the stage set, the backdrop for a story. It's very much part of the drama. Remember when Adam and Eve are thrown out of the Garden of Eden? The ground produces thorns and thistles. When Cain kills Abel, his brother's blood cries out from the ground. The land, on the one hand, can shout with joy and bow down to God. And on the other hand, mourn for the people's sins. The relationship between God, his people, and the land, land can't be separated. So what does a barometer do? It measures air pressure and can forecast the weather. In the same way, the state of the land can act as a barometer, a measure of how obedient we are to God. Much of the Old Testament is about the ups and downs of Israel's relationship with God and the sometimes disastrous effects this has on the land. Times of rich harvest and fruitfulness are linked with obeying God, and times of drought, famine, and crop failure are all linked to disobedience. 
Look at the world today and see how it's desperately mourning the sins of the people. We're going to have a quiz now about the state of the world. I'd like you to write down your answers on this piece of paper that I've given you all. So if you've got paper and pens ready, see how you score. So this is all about the state of the world. Since the Industrial Revolution, carbon emissions have risen by 28%, 38%, or 48%? The answer is... 48%. Number two. In the past 40 years, there's been a 40%, 60%, or 80% decline in wildlife populations across land, sea, and fresh water. 40, 60, or 80. What do you think? Write down your answer. Done? The answer is 60%. Number three, 50%, 70%, or 90% of the world's fish stocks are overfished. What do you think? 50, 70, or 90 percent? The answer is 90 percent. Number four, we've lost 30 percent, 40 percent, or 50 percent of the world's coral reefs in the last 30 years. The answer is 50%. That's sad, isn't it? Number five. A football pitch of Amazon forest cover is now being cleared every second, every minute, or every hour. The answer is every minute. And last question. Every year, 4 million, 6 million, or 8 million tons of plastic enter our ocean on top of the estimated 150 million tons that are already in our waters. 4 million, 6 million, 
or 8 million tons every year. What do you think? The answer is 8 million. Okay, now add up your score. Let's see how you all scored. How many people scored six? Hands up. Oh, wow. <laughs> Good. <coughs> Five? Brilliant. Four? Good. Three? Perhaps you won't go down any further. Brilliant. Well done. <laughs> Two. Very good, Annabelle. Unfortunately, it's not just a question of ruining the beauty and diversity of the natural world. No, it's not just the relationship between us and the land that's broken. It's also the relationship between ourselves and more vulnerable people all around the world. It's an issue of global injustice that we can't ignore. Climate change pollutes the air, dries up our water, and reduces our food supply. It deprives people of their livelihoods, forces families from their homes, and pushes people into poverty. The poor suffer today, and the rich will suffer tomorrow. At the beginning of 2020, more than any other time in human history, we need healing for our world. In the end, all true healing comes from Jesus, the one by whom and for whom all things were made. Jesus made it possible for all the things that have gone wrong with the land and with people to be put right again. No wonder that the earth reacted to the crucifixion with an eclipse and an earthquake. Something absolutely momentous was happening. On the cross, Jesus bore the weight of all the evil in the world and proved he had defeated it by rising again. While governments and corporations across the world are still dedicated to making profits, like the people of Israel bowing down to false gods, we know that trusting in idols leads to disastrous results. The plight our planet is in shows this very clearly. We can feel that we're each struggling against a whole world of sin because the changes that each of us can make alone can't be the solution to tackling the climate crisis. Of course, we need to take responsibility for what we do in our own lives, but we're struggling against something much bigger. We need large-scale change. How can we persuade governments to care for God's creation and to tackle climate change as an absolute priority? The Christian church worldwide needs to put more pressure on governments. We need more people like Greta Thunberg, who's been school-striking weekly to draw attention to the issue worldwide. She so aptly says, the people in power have got away with stealing our future and selling it for profit. We promise we will not let you get away with it anymore. We can lobby our local MP and join activist movement, movements like Campaign Against Climate Change. 
Christian Aid fully supported the Youth Against Climate Change protests that took place in September of this year, last year, when youth strike took to the streets in hundreds of towns and cities across the UK. A new report by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change sets the world a clear target. We must reduce emissions of greenhouse gases to net zero by the middle of this century to have a reasonable chance of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees. As individuals, by far the best difference we can make is to change from fossil fuels that cause global warming to renewable sources of energy that don't. 65% of CO2 emissions come from the burning of fossil fuels. So the main thing I would urge you all to do at the beginning of 2010-20 is to use your car less, fly less, and switch to a green energy provider. Andrew and I are planning a holiday to Italy, our usual holiday destination, by train. More difficult to do with a young family, I know. But at least you can move around and you can take the same amusements along for the children that you would on a plane or a long car journey. We're also giving away our family car and walking, cycling, or using public transport instead. We're already signed up to a green energy company, so all our energy is carbon neutral. How about what we do at Christchurch? At the end of 2019, we formed a new eco-church action group. We have written, we will embrace, respect, and cherish the natural world as God made it. We are called in his name to repair and make whole what has been tragically spoiled and marred, to be his agents of transformation and redemption. EcoChurch is the UK branch of A Russia, which is a Christian environmental agency. You may have seen the logo up in our mission corner. EcoChurch's strapline is your church, caring for God's earth. It's developed an award scheme for churches for all denominations in England and Wales, all those who want to show that they care for creation. We're hoping to gain a bronze award, and we're making adjustments to our worship, teaching, and church buildings, and some of us are working with other community groups to make improvements to our local area. We're planning to go green in all areas of our church life. Today, I've concentrated on one main issue where we can make a difference, changing to renewable sources of energy. But there are so many other ways we can show care for God's creation. This Lent, we're going to be doing a Lenten fast for creation, together as a church. More about that later on in the year. We still have time to turn everything around and pull the emergency brake. This is the decade. This is the year. This is the time. Let's stand in God's holy place with clean hands and a pure heart. Let's seek his face and not put our trust in wealth and prosperity for the few at the expense of the many. Let the King of glory, the Lord Almighty, come in as we seek together to heal our land and be a church that cares for creation.
Amen.